0: If that difference gets exacerbated in 2022, the inflation problem is gonna get much worse because not only do we exacerbate the supply of demand imbalance, but it's happening on top of all of these sanctions that we're throwing against Russia, which are causing a supply shock. Throw that supply shock on top of this exacerbating of supply demand imbalances, and, and you could get a really, really ugly inflation situation in 2022. That's the bear case. That's a scary, realistic outcome. And that is a legitimate fear when it comes to NEO stock and when it comes to all electric vehicle stocks in general.
1: Hello and welcome to Hypergrowth Investing. I'm Aaron Davis, and as always, pleased to be joined by investment analyst Luke Lango. Luke, how are we doing today? Things are continuing to be a little crazy right now, huh?
0: Yes, volatility is not stopping, but as we speak, I'm looking at a green day. I'm happy about that. Uh, But yeah, vol, 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 and a little bit more (laughs) vol. Well,
1: we're going to get all into that in just a few moments. If you're joining us for the first time, Hypergrowth Investing is a weekly podcast that picks the brain of investment analyst Luke Lango. each week we will take an in-depth look at emerging tech and investment innovations electric vehicles cryptocurrencies the metaverse and more nothing is off limits we go up every wednesday on youtube spotify apple google wherever you choose to listen to your favorite podcast so make sure to like and subscribe to get hyper growth investing as soon as it goes up again i'm aaron davis educator and lifelong learner and your proxy into the mind that is the luke Lango. luke Ton of topics. We're just gonna, as usual, we're just gonna dive right in. Uh, first up on our topic list, the Neo stock crash. What is going on there?
0: Yeah, Neo stock. That's been wiped out. That has been no fun for for longs and for bulls. Uh, what's going on there? Uh, there are a few things going on. Uh, first and foremost, actually not foremost, but first, I think the thing that everybody's talking about is potential delisting. The these. Chinese tech stocks, they've come over to America, they've listed on U.S. stock exchanges, they're raising money from U.S. investors. America is getting less and less comfortable with that as geopolitical tensions rise, especially with the Russia invasion of Ukraine. There are reports that Russia asked China for aid. Russia is denying those reports. Of course, Russia would. But just the ties between Russia and China have things a bit on edge right now, the relations between the U.S. and, and, and China. And to that extent, uh, there are now murmurs that the SEC and others are looking at delisting Chinese tech stocks. Uh, Neo, Alibaba, Tencent, Baidu, the list goes on and on and on. There are dozens of these stocks out there, Chinese so, tech stocks
1: come to America to raise money, that are threatened by uh, delisting. So under normal circumstances, I should say, under less stressful geopolitical circumstances, mm-hmm. what does it mean when a stock gets delisted? What are the reasons for that? And how, how can this happen? In under well, without- it, it
0: kind of depends on the, um, on the situation. So let's just focus on the Chinese tech stock situation. Sure. When they get, de- if they get delisted. What that means is they'll be removed from the NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange or whatever US stock market exchange they're listed on. So those exchanges will no longer provide liquidity uh, for that stock. It becomes significantly less tradable in the United States. Uh, it, It impacts that company's ability to raise capital in the United States because a lot of times people or companies raise capital through equity issuances. So they'll issue shares on those exchanges in exchange for money. So it impacts our ability to raise money in the U.S. It impacts our ability as investors to invest in those companies. Some of them might go to an over-the-counter market. Some of them might not at all be tradable in the U.S. So what it would do, the impact would be they can't raise as much money in the United States, if any money in the United States going forward. And then we can't invest or trade in them using U.S. exchanges unless they go to an over-the-counter market. So... That is the net impact of it. The reason why it wouldn't be so large, the impact wouldn't be so large for these Chinese tech stocks is they have the Chinese markets. Mm -hmm. Um, They're all listed on mainland China, Neo and others have expedited their Hong Kong listings as well. So they will raise money in other markets even if they get delisted. Uh, So I don't think it's, it's a big impact, a huge negative consequence. And on top of all that, you have to understand what what these these delisting fears have been around for a long time. The U.S. and China are never on good ground, so to speak. Right? It's always like neutral or shaky, and it oscillates between neutral and shaky. And whenever things get shaky, these delisting fears pop up, and then when things get neutral, they go away. And then when it gets shaky again, they pop up. 2018, U.S.-China trade war. Trump hated what China was doing. China was trying to retaliate. La di da la do. That's when a lot of delisting fears were very prominent in the United States. People thought NIO was going to delisted. People thought Alibaba was going to get delisted. Didn't happen. Then we had about two years of stability, three years of stability in those stocks. Now we're getting the delisting fears again. I don't think they get delisted. I think it's just a fear that arises every single time that U.S.-China relations get strained. And I do not think that China is... Doing anything with respect to supporting Russia, doing enough with respect to supporting Russia to cause the U.S. to actually make the move to finally delist those those stocks. If China were to do that, then absolutely, they're going to get delisted, huge risk, get away from those stocks. But I don't think that's going to happen. That's not the base case. And the fears that it's going to happen have plunged a lot of these stocks into really, really dirt cheat level levels like Neo stock, right? At at 14 bucks, I think it's $14 and change. I don't know where I had somewhere, but, that thing is like $14 and change as we speak, that is dirt cheap for the stock. I mean, this was a $50, $60 stock not too long ago. Mm -hmm. It is the unrivaled leader in electric vehicle technology in China, which is the largest auto market in the world with the largest electric vehicle penetration rate in the world too, besides some Nordic countries. It's gonna be the largest EV market in five to 10 years by a huge margin. Neo has the best tech in that market. They have the highest brand equity in that market. They have this super cool battery swapping station model, which Chinese consumers absolutely love, which Chinese drivers absolutely love. And they fostered this really, really strong culture around their cars with these Neo clubhouses that are like these swanky, like hangout lounges for, the rich people that can afford Neo cars. Mm -hmm. Um, They have the new car launch this year with the ET7. They're trying to expand into Europe. They have expanded into Europe. Mm -hmm. They're hiring folks in the U.S. more aggressively. So they're probably going to expand in the U.S. in 2023. I think that net net, if you back out these delisting fears, Mm -hmm. the growth narrative at Neo remains very strong. Mm -hmm. And so long as the stock does not get delisted, it is a very strong buy at current levels. And considering the probabilities of delisting are fairly low, the risk reward profile on the stock is exceptionally attractive at fourteen dollars and change. I'd be snapping up shares here.
1: So let's just say worst case scenario, it did get delisted, and let's say I have a hundred shares in NEO. What happens to that hundred shares? Do they do? Is it just cash out, and I get that whatever that value of it is on that day, or does it stay kind of in the ether if it gets relisted at some point?
0: Uh, if, if when the delisting happens, yes, um, but normally there's news the delisting coming, so the stock would then plummet because everyone's trying to rush out, mm-hmm. right, and cash out at higher levels. But yes, on the day of delisting, what you said is is what will happen, and um, that that is the fear. That is the fear that is driving the stock lower right now, or part of the fear that is driving the stock lower right now, mm-hmm. because we also have to consider, as I said at the very top, was yep. that's only one thing
1: driving Neo stock lower, right? Well, I was my next question. What are some other factors that are that are contributing to this plan? Yeah, so there's
0: there's, there's, there's there's really three things driving Neo stock lower. Um, one of which is specific to Neo, and two of which are actually uh, relevant to the entire electric vehicle sector. Okay. So the other two things are soaring nickel prices, soaring metal prices. Mm-hmm. Um, Russia is a massive exporter of nickel. Nickel is a key ingredient in lithium ion battery cells. In fact, it's the second biggest metal ingredient in lithium ion battery cells behind lithium itself. Those um, lithium ion battery cells constitute the bulk of the cost of making an electric vehicle. So. We put bans on Russian exports. We put bans on Russian nickel. That causes the price of nickel to absolutely soar. Uh Nickel prices have doubled so far this year from about $20,000 a metric ton to $40,000 a metric ton. At one point, they were up at $100,000 a metric ton. Absolutely absurd trading in the nickel markets right now. Nickel prices go higher. Lithium-ion battery costs go higher. Electric vehicle costs go higher. And all of a sudden, the cost decline curve we've been seeing in electric vehicles for the past decade stops in 2022. So that is a huge fear across the whole electric vehicle market right now. But the reason we are not fearful of that is because... According to an analysis from Morgan Stanley, with nickel prices up at $100,000 a metric ton, that would add an estimated $1,000 to raw input costs for electric vehicles made in the U.S. We're not at $100,000 a ton right now. We're actually at $40,000 a ton. Right now, we are seeing oil prices come back from their recent spike. Remember last week we said oil is a sucker's trade? It's a sucker's trade. Oil's coming back down, wheat's coming back down, metals are coming back down. We had this massive spike and now we're Mm -hmm. kind of moderating at higher than pre-war levels, but it's not like this sustained exponential spike. Mm -hmm. It's a spike Mm -hmm. and then moderation at higher levels. Mm -hmm. Nickel settles at $40,000 a ton. Let's say that happens. That's a pretty good base case. That would add just about $400 in material costs for electric vehicle makers in the United States. Mm-hmm. $400, Aaron. Mm-hmm. An EV costs 40,000, 50,000, $60,000. The average sale price of an electric vehicle in the United States in February, 2021 was $62,000. Mm-hmm. What is another $400 in a $62,000 purchase? It's nothing. It's a drop in the ocean. It's a candy bar at the checkout aisle at Home Depot. Mm-hmm. It's nothing. Mm-hmm. It is not going to drive your decision if it's listed at 62 or 624 that's not going to change a decision to buy a, an electric vehicle. Mm-hmm. 62 and 65, maybe 62 and 70, definitely, but 62 and 624, no, mm-hmm. not at all. The surge in metal prices is completely the fear related to the surge in metal prices as it relates to uh, pushing electric vehicle costs higher is completely overdone in market sentiment right now. So that fear I think is totally out, out the door. I don't I don't think it's relevant really. I think if that is driving Neo stock lower, I do believe it is part of the reason Neo stock is lower. That's right. a dumb reason and it is a reason to buy the dip. Also, gas prices are soaring. Mm-hmm. Right? So you're talking about a $400 increase in metal input costs for an electric vehicle next to because everything's relative in this world. Yep. Next to relative to you're, you went from paying $3 a gallon to paying $5 a gallon for gas, and that could keep going higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. That cost does add up. That cost does matter. That cost is material. So this $400 bump up is significantly less than the bump up you're seeing in paying for fuel at the pump. So long as that cost savings delta, that differential is enormous, then you're gonna go electric. And that's why we think that 2022 is still going to be a breakout year for evs regardless of this rising metal price freak out that you're seeing in the markets that's hubbub that's noise don't pay attention to that the fact of the matter is consumers are spending way more at the pump on rising gas prices than they are on evs because of a doubling in nickel price and that differential is what's going to be an impetus for mass consumer adoption of electric vehicles in 2022 so let's forget that driver of Neo stock it is inconsequential looking out past this month really. Now the other thing that's going on with NeoStock is COVID-19 is back, mm-hmm. but only in China. Okay. <laughs> okay. Everywhere else seems to be getting over COVID, Mm -hmm. uh, as most governments have shifted policies to live with COVID as opposed to get rid of COVID. Mm -hmm. But China, man, China has from day one stuck to the zero COVID policy, and they've been like, that's it. That's what they're doing, okay? It's worked. Now it's not working so much. But even though the rest of the world is shifting to live with COVID, China's probably not going to shift to live with covid because that would be a sign that they took the wrong policy in the first place and that's not something China wants to admit. So China is going to stick with zero covid policies for the foreseeable future. Not to mention their vaccines, the the local made vaccine in China is significantly less effective than the Moderna, Johnson and Johnson, Pfizer vaccines we have here in the US and 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 uh, in Europe. So those reasons are why China is going to stay zero COVID policy for a long time. COVID-19 outbreaks are starting to happen across the country. China is now locking down cities. Cities in China are in lockdown, right? Mm-hmm. There are multiple cities in China that are in lockdown. That's crazy to think about as I sit here in San Diego and I go outside and I don't see anybody wearing masks and I don't see anybody, social distancing, I don't see anybody really abiding by any COVID-19 protocols anymore mm-hmm. uh, here in San Diego. I don't know how it is in Baltimore. How is, how is it in it's Baltimore? It's the same, same, same here. Right, so yeah. that that's the consumer behavior here consumer behavior in in Shenzhen, China right now is lockdown, absolute Mm -hmm. lockdown. That's a problem because 60% of automotive manufacturing happens in uh, China. Mm -hmm. So electric vehicle manufacturing specifically. So what that really means is we could get more supply chain headaches as China goes back into a lockdown. This is a more legitimate fear than Mm -hmm. the soaring nickel prices, forget that. This is a more legitimate fear. Mm -hmm. If China does continue to lock down its cities for prolonged periods of time and uh, production capacity in the country gets dramatically reduced, we're gonna be looking at a really ugly inflation situation in 2022, because 2021, the inflation situation was all about the supply, demand and balance, right? Demand was super strong globally, but supply was super constrained globally because America and Europe, the hubs of demand were normalizing. Mm-hmm. China, the hub of supply was not normalizing. If that difference gets exacerbated in 2022, the inflation problem is gonna get much worse because not only do we exacerbate the supply of demand imbalance, but it's happening on top of all of these sanctions that we're throwing against Russia, which are mm-hmm. causing a supply shock. So that supply shock on top of this exacerbating of supply demand imbalances, And you could get a really, really ugly inflation situation in 2022. That's the bear case. That's a scary, realistic outcome. And that is a legitimate fear when it comes to neo stock and when it comes to all electric vehicle stocks in general. However, there's always a however Mm area. However, our base case is that that's not going to happen because the lockdown in China, in Shenzhen, China right now, is one week. Long. That's seven days. Yeah. We're not talking about the month-long, multi-month lockdowns we had in 2020, or that China even suffered throughout parts of 2021. We're talking a week. It's only in certain areas in China. Foxconn, a major producer of iPhones and iPads for Apple, has a production facility in Shenzhen. They simply took that facility offline and rerouted production to another facility in China, That is at 100% capacity. Mm -hmm. So so long as these lockdowns in China remain sporadic, infrequent, and short, then companies can just kind of shift production throughout the country and production should not get hampered by that much. That's our base case. So we don't think the inflation situation does get inflamed uh, in a a terrible way that it could um, if China were to go all out lockdown everywhere all at once for a long period of time. If that does happen, it's not just death to NEO stock, it's death to the entire market. Uh, But we, again, do not think that is a base case. So we're operating on the assumption that China is going to be strategic and calculated in this, um, in its lockdowns, especially since the government just came out and said they're targeting about 5.5% GDP growth in 2022. Mm -hmm. That's a big number. A lot of economists think that that is aggressive. They're not gonna get there if they keep locking down um, a bunch of cities. So. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But our base case is that that the China lockdowns are going to remain a uh, kind of a sideshow, so to speak, and that it's not going to significantly impact production capacity uh, in 2022. Other electric vehicles or of any other stuff that comes from China.
1: So then, what should investors be doing right now with regards to NEO and possibly the whole EV sector?
0: Yeah, NEO stock, buy the dip. Absolutely, buy the dip. EV stocks, buy the dip. But you got to be selective about EV stocks and buying the dip because uh, think about the auto sector when it first came out, uh, the gas-powered car uh, diesel engine. Um, we're talking turn of the century, 1900s. There were dozens upon dozens, upon dozens of new auto companies saying they're going to, you know, sell all these cars and be massive and be enormous. And only three of them ended up surviving, uh, you know, what ended up being a huge consolidation of the industry. Same thing's going to happen in the electric vehicle industry. You have dozens upon dozens of companies out there today saying, Hey, we're going to change the world. We're going to be the future of auto transportation. Uh, and EVs will be, but not every company is going to make it. So there's going to be massive consolidation in this industry. The gains of the industry, the 1,000% gains we're talking about across the whole industry, will be consolidated among a very few number of EV companies. So buy the dip in EV stocks would be selective. And what I can say with confidence is that Tesla is going to be one of those companies and Neo is going to be one of those companies. Mm-hmm. So buy the dips in in those two stocks. Tesla less so valuation there is kind of still stretched out. Um, but Neo is very attractively undervalued at, at current levels. And then there are a couple other names that we really like in the space. Not gonna give them away here. That would be an injustice to my subscribers uh, who pay money for those picks. But what I will say is that our belief is that in a soaring gas price environment, mm-hmm. in a red hot inflationary environment, in a environment where you're paying $200, $300 a week for your groceries, Um, economics, Mm -hmm. costs, affordability Mm -hmm. are going to become the principal drivers of consumer decision-making in 2022. Mm -hmm. That's gonna apply to purchases of all ticket sizes, including big ticket purchases like a car. So we think that demand for autos in 2022 is going to skew towards the more Mm -hmm. affordable versions. It's not going to skew towards the $100,000, $112,000, $120,000 cars. It's going to skew towards the EVs that can sell you at $50,000, at $45,000, at $40,000, at $37,000, at $35,000. That's where a lot of the demand for EVs is going to be concentrated in 2022. It's companies that are making cars at that price end that we're pretty excited about. And there are a few names on our list that we really like, not going to say them, again, I can't say them here, but that's where our focus is for 2022. That's where the opportunity is in 2022 for EV
1: stocks. Awesome. Well, moving on to our next topic, uh, something that we've been talking about for the last, pretty much since we started this podcast was uh, basically the the meeting in March of the Fed it's finally happening. It's actually happening kind of as we have this discussion for our viewers and listeners. You know, we film HGI on Tuesdays and they're meeting right now and what they decide won't be released until tomorrow. But we have a pretty good outlook of what's anticipated, the hike, uh, you know, combined with factors like inflation, the ongoing conflict in Eastern Europe and supply, supply chain issues that, like you've already discussed. How do all mm. these factor into the current meeting and what do you expect the Fed's going to be doing?
0: a long awaited march fed meeting <laughs> finally here yeah. right by the time subscriber uh, viewers listen to this yeah uh, the meeting will have adjourned the they will have released a statement Powell will have had a press conference and the markets will have reacted and i can guarantee you the trading is going to be you're going to see choppy and then when Powell comes up you're either going to see a boom big jump higher or yep. boom big drop lower. Mm. That's just how the Fed meetings are these days. That's mm-hmm. just going to happen. Tomorrow's volatility is going to be insane, um, <laughs> considering all volatility we've had coming into that meeting. Mm-hmm. So, what do we expect? I mean, woo, that's, that's a loaded question. There was a consensus belief on my team that we were going to rip the Band-Aid moment off, a rip, rip the Band-Aid off moment um, with the Fed in March. We thought that they were going to just hype rates. The market was going to accept that. Band-Aid's get ripped off, and we're just going to go forward. I still think that's possible, but the reality is that this whole war in Europe has really conflicted this era, made the situation very confusing, very Mm -hmm. confusing for investors, for the Fed, for Mm -hmm. policymakers, for everybody. It has been, it's very confusing. What do they do? Because what we're looking at right now is we're looking at a stagflationary uh, economy. Mm -hmm. We have low growth, stag, and Mm -hmm. high inflation. inflation. The Fed has a choice to either support or help out on the stag part, help out the growth, or help out on the inflation part, help fight inflation. And they've made it pretty clear that their job is going to be to attack the inflation part mm-hmm. at the expense of the stag. Now, that's the right choice to make because unemployment is super low. Um, the jobs market looks strong. The US economy looks strong enough to withstand rate hikes, a few mm-hmm. rate hikes. So. They're making the right call to fight inflation, but the pace at which they do it and how the U.S. economy responds to that and how the war in Europe progresses is far more important than what they do tomorrow,
1: mm-hmm. okay?
0: So what they do tomorrow is they're gonna hike 25 bips, Okay, They're gonna forecast more heights coming down the pike uh, in 2022, mm-hmm. and the market's gonna to react to that. And that market reaction is not gonna matter. Mm-hmm. Because what's gonna matter is As they continue to hike rates over the next several meetings, how the U.S. economy responds to that, how the war in Europe progresses, and how inflation trends over the next few months as we enter, we're already into, but as the readings start to reflect a war time period. Mm -hmm. That's what matters. So the war essentially delayed the, you know, not delayed Made the rip the bandaid off situation be like a very gradual, like kind of like we're peeling it off slowly mm-hmm. and slowly checking the wound and seeing how it's doing. Mm-hmm. And I think when we when we peel it off and look at the wound, I don't think it's going to be that bad. OK, I think it's like, oh, we're OK. Let's take this bandaid off and, and get back to normal. Um And normal is a great environment for for growth investors, for tech investors, mm-hmm. because. When you think about the trading action that's kind of happened in in 2022, it's almost like somebody hit the rewind button on the human clock, (laughs) like on on the societal clock, you know, like throughout the 2000s and 2010s, we were in this world where Tech stocks were working because they were were growing, they were promoting the future, where software stocks were working, where digital stocks were working, where crypto was working. All these things that were the future and pushing society forward were working and working and working. And in 2022, we decided to hit the pause button and then rewind the clock so that everything that is about the future has stopped working everything that worked over the past 20 years and the things that didn't work throughout the 2010s oil and gas <laughs> gold like these <laughs> dinosaur industries are are, uh-huh. are making a comeback do not be fooled by this last yeah. week i said oil is a sucker's rally yep. say it again it's a sucker's rally this is dinosaurs grasping for their last breath mm-hmm. before they die those industries are dead Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. They are dead. Solar will replace them. Wind will replace them. Electric vehicles will replace them. Hydrogen will replace them. Software is going to replace all of these archaic industries. Do not get fooled by a 12, you know, three month, six month, 12 month, even a two year blip in the history and course and the trajectory of societal progress. We're still going this way, we're not gonna go backwards. Mm-hmm. So continue to bet on the things that are, that are gonna drive us forward. And those things will work mm-hmm. once we get back to a normal operating environment. Once you get back to a normal macroeconomic environment, we haven't been in that for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, we had COVID, we had the after effects of COVID. Now we have a war in Europe. We haven't been in a normal operating environment since 2019 really. Mm -hmm. But I have very strong faith and conviction in this idea that we're going to get back to a normal operating environment by late 2022, 2023, that it's only a matter of time before we get back to a normal operating environment. In that normal operating environment, the things that can grow revenues and earnings the fastest, which are the things that are driving society forward, that represent the future of society, are going to be the stocks that are going to win big. And all this Mm -hmm. noise you're seeing right now is really just that Mm -hmm. noise. Don't you know don't don't give much much uh, credence to it besides that. And um to that to that extent, what the Fed does tomorrow, because that was the whole question here. Yep. They're gonna hype 25 bips, market's gonna react, and the reaction's not really gonna matter all that much mm-hmm. in, in our investment thesis. When you're investing in a multi-year time horizon, what they do tomorrow is not really terribly important. It's mm-hmm. how things are going to trend over the next several months, and we'll continue to watch those trends and that'll impact how our stocks perform. But tomorrow. Yeah, market's making a big stink about it, but it's probably going to go down in history as a moment that doesn't.
1: So so kind of just to expand just a little bit on your Band-Aid analogy, because you initially thought it was going to be a quick rip. It's obviously going to be mm-hmm. a little bit of a slower peel the Band-Aid off. You initially thought it was going to be three rate hikes over the course of uh, 2022. There's talk that it's looking to be a little bit more like six. Is this a more realistic analysis? Uh, prior yeah. to your uh, three rate hike analysis or, and if so, does it, to your point, does it even really matter if it's three or six in the long run? Yeah, so, long run run.
0: yeah so our base case initially coming into 2022 was three to four rate hikes uh, for the year. That was before the war. Yeah. The war is aggravating the, the inflation situation. Um. So yeah, I think the market shifted to six or seven. We still think seven's a bit of an overshoot. Five or six mm-hmm. sounds pretty realistic, but the market's pretty much already priced for that, right? Like the, the two-year yeah. treasury yields up to one point I lost it. Like one, I think it's like one point eight percent now. Like at one point eight percent, we're basically braced for five or six rate hikes. So mm-hmm. the yield curve is kind of already adjusted to this idea that the Fed's going to hike five or six times. Okay. Um. On that basis, we don't think yields really go that much higher than where they currently are throughout twenty twenty two. So the question does three rate hikes six rate hikes matter the real question is what will help markets Mm -hmm. what will help markets is if they go anything less than six or seven Mm -hmm. because six or seven is where the market's at right now that's where the yield curve is basically pricing the fed to be by the end of the year if they end the year anything less than that at five at Mm -hmm. four then stocks are going to have significant upside potential from current levels if they end the year above that at eight or nine Mm-hmm. Then stocks are going to have downside from here. But the reality is that at six or seven, you know, there are much, there's a much larger probability that they surprise to the downside of that mm-hmm. on three, four, or five, as opposed to them surprising on the upside of that at eight or nine, because at eight or nine, you're at that point calling for multiple 50 basis point hikes, which is pretty unprecedented. And Mm -hmm. something that I highly doubt this ultra dovish Fed led by this ultra dovish leader in Jay Powell will do, especially as the yield curve is getting ultra flat, especially as the U.S. economy is showing signs of of slowing and especially given the exceptionally hazy economic outlook due to the the war in in Europe. So I think net net. um, Mm -hmm. The upside surprise is probably gonna come in the form of the Fed hiking less than where the market is today, which Mm -hmm. is seven rate hikes. And from that perspective, that's what matters to us as opposed to the actual number of times they go, do they go less or more than what's expected? And we significantly believe they're gonna go less than that and therefore are pretty constructive on stocks at at current levels and especially constructive on long duration assets whose valuations have been chopped because Mm -hmm. of these rate hike fears.
1: You know, as you kind of discussed that the whole point of this is that the Fed's kind of prioritizing fighting inflation again over you know economic growth and and employment because those numbers are pretty good right now. But does this actually slow the economy? And if so, what are the expectations for investors moving forward?
0: Uh, it it will slow the economy. That's the whole point of rate hikes. Yeah. It's supposed to slow demand. It's supposed to slow uh, money. And so it will slow the economy. Absolutely. Where does this impact um, happen mostly? We believe it happens in 2022. It's going to happen mostly at the consumer spending level. Okay. Consumer discretionary spending, we think, is going to be significantly lower in 2022 than what most people are expecting. Because look at what the consumer is facing in 2022. Yeah. The things you have to pay for if you uh, drive a gas powered car are <laughs> higher gas prices. Yeah. Um, If you don't live in a home powered by solar is a higher uh, energy bill, monthly energy bill. Yep. Um, Higher grocery prices. Unfortunately, that's something even us electric vehicle buyers that live in (laughs) solar powered homes have to face. Uh, So those are things that you have to buy. Uh, Most U.S. consumers do drive gas powered cars. Most U.S. consumers do not live in solar powered homes and all of us have to buy groceries. So the overwhelming majority of U.S. consumers are looking at substantially higher consumer staple costs in 2022. Mm -hmm. At the same time, as we mentioned previously, the personal savings rate exiting 2021 was very low. It fell below where it was in 2019 before the Mm -hmm. pandemic. Couple those realities with rate hikes going up. So, what are rate hikes going to do to the consumer on, on the consumer spending front? Well, your credit card interest, the debt you pay on your credit card, is tied to the prime rate, which is tied to the Fed funds rate. As the Fed hikes rates 25 basis points, 25 basis points, 25 basis points, the interest you pay on your credit card is going to go up 25 basis points, 25 basis points, 25 basis points. So, it's going to directly hit your credit card spending. So, you have credit card spending interest you have these higher prices, we think consumer discretionary spend, you have lower savings rates. We think, and you also have consumer confidence is just super low. People are afraid of inflation. People are afraid of the war. People are starting to hear the R word get tossed around. Consumers are pretty scared right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're not scared right now, they're gonna be more scared in a month or two. And so I think consumer discretionary spending is going to kind of weather the bulk of the slowdown in 2022. Um, and that's not bad, that's bad for the economy because 70% of the US economy is driven by consumer spending, but that should be a reason to hunker down in enterprise software stocks, to hunker right. down in stocks that are based on business-to-business spending, that are based on enterprise spending, because enterprises are in a great position. They have lots of cash. Their interest costs are still pretty low. They aren't, you know, they do, some of them have to pay for gas, some of them have to pay for groceries, you know, for employees and whatnot, but that cost is a relatively small portion of of their overall spending pie and so we think enterprises are actually still set to spend a lot of money in 2022 mm-hmm. and that's why we think that if you're looking for opportunities down here in the mud of the sell off consumer discretionary stocks mm-hmm. make sure you take a double triple quadruple look before you get into get into those stocks mm-hmm. Enterprise software stocks, stocks based on consume on enterprise spending on B two B spending, those ones have a much more favorable outlook for this year. So that's where I think you should be spending a lot of time looking for opportunities in the rubble because those stocks have been beaten up just as much. Yet I think their outlooks are pretty strong for twenty twenty two. Whereas consumer discretionary stocks, maybe not so much.
1: So you, so I mean, you're obviously still. It sounds like you're still very bullish on growth stocks. You're saying stay away from oil. You're saying stay away from. Kind of real asset stocks. Am, you're, I, you're am, still
0: I saying, am I saying
1: stay away from oil? Yeah, I think you said said it, it may. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I could be misinterpreting what you said, but it sounded like you said stay away from oil. Um, oh yeah, I just implied it. Oh know. yeah, well you know, like so. But gross stocks. Uh, does this change? Like it sounds like you're still completely bullish. Does any of this change any of your outlook on gross stocks?
0: No. Okay. What? I mean, honestly, it's just, why would it, mm-hmm. you know, the reality is.
1: Well, I, well, I think that, you know, people yeah, go people, ahead. people are looking when people are seeing the dips that we're seeing right now and people are thinking and investors are thinking, oh, I, I want to make money in light of what's happening right now. They're turning to oil. They're turning to real asset stocks They're and they're steering away from the growth sector, obviously, but your, what is your thesis for again, sticking with it?
0: Do you want to make 10% a year or do you want to make a thousand percent over 10 years? Mm -hmm. Do you want to, do you want to have to constantly worry about picking the right stocks every single quarter, every single month, every single year and have to always time the market and beat the guy next to you? You just want to pick six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 stocks that have enormous 10 year potential and just sit down and chill. One of those options seems a lot better to me and that option is going to make you a lot more money you know the reality is the the trade of the year every year is going to go up that sector is going to go up 20 30 40 50 percent maybe um and compounded that's nice but are you really going to pick the trade of the year every single year um Mm -hmm. highly unlikely Um, what's far more likely is that you're able to identify long-term secular trends redefining society find winning companies in those trends invest in them and chill and just relax and that's why we aren't stressed i mean everybody else is losing their shirts their necks their heads whatever body part they can lose um in this sell-off because they're freaking out like where do i go to make money where do i go to make money and we're just like okay like this is what happens wars happen inflation Mm -hmm. Happens. The Fed hikes rates, it happens, these things happen. You know what also happens concurrent to all of that noise? Technological innovation proceeds forward. It keeps marching, Mm -hmm. puts one foot after the other, and eventually comes up with a technology that reshapes the world and everybody uses. Mm -hmm. E-commerce survived the dot-com crash. It survived a housing crash. It survived the U.S. economy looking like it was no longer going to exist in 2008. It survived uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, and it's gonna survive everything we're going through today. Um, some would say it thrived during the. Yeah, it thrived during some of those times too, um, and that's why we're not we're not at all worried about what's what's going on. Yes, the stocks are getting smashed. Yes, the stocks are, are falling. That's what happens that gives you a great opportunity to cost average into these names because you're developing a low cost basis in companies that are defining the future of society. So we really aren't stressed at all about what's going on. We are actually you know, excited to a bad word to use because you don't want to be excited about war. That's a terrible thing to be excited about. Mm-hmm. But we are enthused mm-hmm. by the opportunities we are seeing in the market as a result of macroeconomic and macro geo- geopolitical fears. Uh, they're creating enormous opportunities today. It's just like 2001, where you had an opportunity to buy Amazon super low. Just like 2008, we had an opportunity to buy Netflix and Salesforce really low. Just like 2018, we had an opportunity to buy Roku and Square really low. Just like 2020, we had an opportunity to buy essentially every tech stock, every stock in the market really low. Um, you're seeing that today. And for your, for an investor to think this time is different, Mm -hmm. it comes back to this idea, and it's a really powerful idea, but not a lot of investors truly understand why it applies in the stock market. It's this idea called chronocentrism. And chronocentrism Mm -hmm. is this idea that humans are innately narcissistic and small picture (laughs) thinkers. And we think Mm -hmm. that everything we go through in our time period at this moment in time is the biggest deal ever, and it's like, how am I gonna get through it? It's like in fifth grade when like you fail a math test or whatever. I never failed a math test for the record, but in fifth grade when you fail the math test and you're like, oh my god, my mom's gonna kill me. This is I the did, end so of the so There week. you go. Yeah, no, it was terrible. I Can't, I can't believe this is happening. And you know, yeah. mom gets it. Mom's mad. You get grounded. Whatever. A lot of that to do. And then you know, a week later, you forget about it. And uh, you got ten years, for other
1: like, things. three I'm, years I'm,
0: later, three sure. years later, you're like that was the silliest thing on the planet. If I fail the math test this time, who, who cares, right? Um, every time th- that can be extrapolated, it's a microcosm of you know society in general. Every time we go through a crisis, or even every time we go through a boom, people think that this time is different, and it's not. You know, humans survive mm-hmm. so many different crises. The US economy has survived so many different crises. Capitalism survived so many crises and technological innovation has survived so many crises. To think that this time is different, that somehow what's going on in the world today is going to change the course of technological innovation, a course that has been charted and has proven successful for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. That's chronocentrism at its fi- at its finest and it is something you should not fall into the trap of chronocentrism instead you should realize that this time is not different it is not mm-hmm. dissimilar from what has happened before and the same things that happened coming out of those crises are going to be the same things that happen mm-hmm. coming out of this crisis and that is technological innovation will progress forward and the companies creating the mm-hmm most disruptive, most innovative products and services are going to attract the most users and most spending. See their earnings and revenues grow by leaps and bounds over the next five to 10 years and their stock prices are gonna go boom, boom, boom. That's what matters. That's where your focus has to be, not on all of other noise going on right now. And I think that perhaps is the most important lesson or advice that I could give to anybody in the markets right now is mm-hmm. what I just said, so. I'll shut up after that. I know we got to keep talking, but (laughs) no, so I I mean, mean, no,
1: it's it's obviously, it's, it's, it's worth illustrating. And uh, again, everybody, I love to hear your take on that because it's blunt and it is to the point, but it's also backed by, like you said, the history of man, the history of humankind and, and where we are today. The trends that have affected us before affect us now. I think one of the things that we're all, that we are kind of seeing with some of these growth stocks, though, that's happening right now that, uh, that it's probably happened in similar instances like this. And maybe you can kind of speak to this is that we're kind of seeing um, an enormous insider buying spree. Um, you know, oh, yes. what is what does that mean when because with these growth stocks, you know, the price is low, but the insiders are buying what mm-hmm. is what is it? And we're not talking about insider trading necessarily, correct? We're talking about we're talking about the leaders in these in these investment spaces buying their buying up their own stock.
0: Uh, yeah. So what we're, what we're talking about is the CEOs of companies, the CFOs of companies, the COOs of companies, the board members of companies, the big hedge funds, ten percent owners of companies are buying the dip in hypergrowth tech stocks. And this is analysis we conducted. You know, we do research all the time, every day. And what I was noticing is in all that research, I was finding that I kept reading headlines about CEO buys, you know, X, y, or X number of shares of X, Y, Z stock or, uh This hedge fund just increased its state to 12% from 9%, whatever it may be. I kept reading these headlines and I was like, there's got to be something here. So I dug into it mm-hmm. and I started going to insider filings with my team. And we kind of looked at all the insider buying that's happened over the past two to three weeks, at this point, three Mm -hmm. weeks, over the past three weeks. And we filtered it by what we would consider hyper-growth tech stocks. And it was just amazing what we found. Insiders in hyper-growth tech stocks are buying the dip in their stocks like nothing I've ever seen before. I think the number that that we came out with, and this analysis we did last week, so it's actually higher now, but since the week of the Russia-Ukraine war starting, Mm -hmm. since that week, uh, insiders and hypergrowth tech stocks have bought about $30 million, $300 million uh, worth of stock in their companies. And we're talking widespread buying. It's not like there's, you know, one or two companies carrying the low. We're talking across like 30, 35 different stocks, CEOs, COOs, board members, 10% owners, hedge fund. they're all just going all in, basically. And that is a huge vote of confidence from the people who know about their, these businesses the best, right? If you're the CEO of the company, nobody knows about your company better than you. If you're a board member of that company, nobody knows better about that uh, company than you besides the CEO. Um, so these people who know more about their businesses than anybody else are buying mm-hmm. the deal while retail investors mm-hmm. are selling who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the people that don't know much about businesses and are just following the crowd and selling because they're scared of losing their shirts? Or are you going to follow the people who are actually in the day-to-day running those businesses, know their operational growth trends, know how business is trending? Who are you going to follow? I'm following those people. And those people are buying the dip like never before. And this is a signal that I've been waiting for because we've seen this butchering of growth stocks for a while now, I would say it goes back about twelve months. This is this—it's this <laughs> been a boom, 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 but it's been death by a thousand paper cuts. It's been awful. It's been <laughs> horrible, and I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for insiders to buy the dip, because that right. for me is like the ultimate capitulation signal. That is the point at which I believe these stocks can start to really turn around, and we, we're finally starting to get that. We're finally starting to get that. We took a this final big leg lower with the Russia-Ukraine war breaking out. And on that final big dip lower, insiders have come in and just gobbled it up. It's similar to what I saw in March 2020 when insiders came in and gobbled up the dip uh, during, during that sell-off. And so this is a really bullish signal for me. I'm very excited about it. And I believe it shows the people who know most about these businesses are on the side of bulls that is, that's very bullish. And it, it gets me really, really excited about where these stocks could trend over the next six months, five years, 10 years. Um, when you're aligned with the insiders mm-hmm. like that, when they're putting their own money to work like that, you know, it's, it, it usually means good things. So mm-hmm. yeah, that that is happening and it's something we're very excited about.
1: Well, again, as bullish as you are, and again, where you're in it for the long game, it always kind of hurts to, to see that loss of money when you're investing into some of these companies um i think one of the things that we want that uh we've been getting from our viewers is we want to know a little bit more about strategies uh how like how to actually have with the money that we have to invest and one strategy that i've heard a mention of is uh dollar cost averaging um and is that an effective strategy and but before we even get into that like can you just kind of describe what that is
0: dollar cost averaging is just simply you, you put a set number of dollars into the market at every single time period, two weeks, every month. Um, and they just kind of buy that stock that you're in or that investment that you're in at whatever price it is. You just kind of dollar cost average into it over time. Um, and that, that's so a if fabulous- have,
1: So if I have like a hundred dollars, if I have a hundred dollars, and do I invest a hundred dollars today or spread it out over 10 weeks? Is that, that's what you're saying?
0: Yeah, normally dollar cost averaging is when you have like an income stream as well. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like you have a hundred dollars today and you allocate that hundred dollars across 10 stocks, $10 each, and then you have some income stream, mm-hmm. you know, but you know for simplicity math purposes, let's say you're pulling in a thousand a week, then you would allocate, let's say 20% to stocks. And then that 200 goes to those stocks and it just, whatever price the stock is at, it buys $20 divided by 200 out of 10, $20 of that stock at that price that it is. And you just keep dollar cost averaging to that at specific allocations over certain uh, well defined time intervals. And that's considered dollar cost averaging.
1: Does that make so sense? Is this uh, superior? Pardon?
0: I was just saying, was yes, that clear? No, I mean, sometimes I. Yes. I speak, no, it was, you know,
1: yeah.
0: Okay, good, good.
1: Yep. Um, So so can you break down why this may be a superior investment strategy, especially amid all this uncertainty, or is it not?
0: Uh, I think it's it's, it's a great investment strategy. Um, I believe in more strategic cost averaging. So not specifically just dollar cost averaging and specific time intervals, but like on big down days. Mm -hmm. So on a day when your favorite stock is down 10% or 15% cost average into that dip on a day that it's down 10%, 50%. Cost averaging that dip again. So what I believe in is price driven cost averaging. So you have your portfolio of stocks and every time one of those stocks drops a significant, uh, drops significantly then cost average into that dip and bring your cost basis lower. So long as your fundamental reason for buying the stock uh, has not changed. And I think that's, that's mm-hmm. part of the reason that we can cost average with such confidence um, is when you get into a stock, you have to have a reason you're into the stock. And mm-hmm. a lot of people are in yeah. the stock because they just want to make money on the stock. And if that's your reason for getting into the stock, you're going to have a tough time cost averaging because if you're cost averaging price-driven cost averaging Mm -hmm. it means the stock's gone down so the reason you're in the stock is not working whereas we get into stocks because we believe those businesses can grow by leaps and bounds over the long run and as a result of that the stock price will follow suit so as long as our fundamental thesis our main reason for getting the stock remains true this company is going to grow by leaps and bounds over the long run, then yeah, we're more than willing to cost average on, on down days because our original thesis is, has not changed. And so that's a strategy we employ. That's a strategy we recommend. We think that's a strategy that is best suited for you know making a lot of money in the market over a five to 10 year window um, and doing so without really having to worry about timing the market or worry about always being in the trade of the year or always worry about, you know, oil surge surging. Should I catch that? Or this is falling, should I ditch that? You know, you don't have to pay attention to that noise. You just have to pay attention to the secular trends reshaping society. And so we cost average into those trends when they when they have bad days, or you can just dollar cost average at predefined periods. Either way, you're gonna put yourself in a position to make a lot of money in the market so long as the stocks you own are high quality long-term winners. And we believe that a lot of the a lot of the stocks in the hypergrowth world uh, meet that criteria.
1: Got it. Well, moving on to some of those that meet that criteria again. You hate oil. U.S. is banning Russian hate oil.
0: oil, I don't hate. No, I do hate oil. I absolutely despise oil
1: and <laughs> Well, to, well for you for your sake, the U.S. Uh, I think right after we recorded last week's uh, put a ban on Russian oil um how does this uh affect again we we've talked a little bit about alternative energy but one of the sectors i want to look at specifically today is solar um you know solar has been around for a long time i remember you know as a kid having those little toys where you have a little propeller you put a light on it and it spins the propeller so solar has been around for a long time What's changing now and how does the impact of uh, the Russia ban and our dependence on oil bring some of this some of this to the forefront?
0: I mean, the big the biggest change is the economics of solar. So um, solar used to be an industry that required subsidies to work because solar costs, solar panel costs were so exorbitantly high. That's no longer true. These technologies follow a cost decline curve. They have what are called learning rates and learning rates are essentially that Mm -hmm. the more we develop the technology, the more we learn about it, the more we figure out how to cost effectively manufacture this, how to leverage economies of scale to drive down cost. That is a learning rate. Solar has a very, very high learning rate, meaning for every capacity increase we get in solar, you get a significant percentage decline in the cost to produce solar. So as we ramped up our manufacturing of solar, our capacity of solar, we've also driven down the cost considerably. Now that has kind of been thrown for a loop because of the inflation picture and polysilicon prices are rising and the China production um, picture has been very murky. That's where a lot of solar panels come from, a lot of the raw materials at least. So that's been kind of thrown for a loop a little bit here, but again, big picture, the cost decline curve here is still very much in favor of these costs continuing to head lower. Solar is already the cheapest energy source on the planet Earth. That happened in 2020, was it 21 or 20? It happened either in 2020 or 2021. Solar became the cheapest uh, solar energy or uh, energy source on Earth. And in fact, the cheapest energy source Mm -hmm. energy source on record. So that's already there. Now it's just going to keep getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper while natural gas and other uh, fossil fuel energy sources are going to get more and more expensive. So that delta in price is going to grow grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And the more it grows, the more reason even the staunchest solar hater is going to convert to solar. Mm-hmm. So, so that what that is the, the... First is what's changed. The biggest thing is changes is, is the prices over.
1: So is that because of uh better productivity? Is it is it the better technology? Like what are like what are the reasons for for this decrease in cost?
0: Yeah, I mean it's a combination of everything. Just think about the more you do something, the better you figure out how to do that thing well. So the more we've made solar panels, the more we have figured out how to reduce the material costs. Can we mine this more effectively? Can we change the material, get a cheaper material? Uh, When we put it all together, can we do so with less labor? Can we do so more quickly? Can we do so more autonomously? When we install these things, can we install them with less labor? Can we install them autonomously? Can we install them more efficiently? So the more we do these things, the more we learn, just from beginning to end of this process, end to end, how to cut costs and make it more efficient. So to answer your question, it's all of those things, technological improvements, it's productivity improvements, it's economies of scale, it's all of those things working together to drive a materially positive learning rate in solar energy. And what's really interesting is that fossil fuels do not have a learning rate. In fact, their learning rates are either zero or negative. The more we've increased capacity of fossil fuels, the more expensive they've gotten. Um, And that goes to show you that in the long run, fossil fuels are going to be uh, insanely more expensive than renewable energies. And if this Mm -hmm. is not the point at which the world wakes up and realizes that, Um, Well, we'll we'll get another shake in the shoulders in a few years, but I believe that this is gonna be that point. And there's gonna be huge solar adoption in 2022, 2023. I think hydrogen is gonna really ramp up, especially in Europe, because Europe is gonna get hit by natural gas prices the most, right? Russia supplies a huge portion of Europe's natural gas. Their gas prices, their heating bills, their energy bills are gonna soar through the roof. And guess what? Europe has already been on the bleeding edge of investing in and developing hydrogen infrastructure. So I think hydrogen is going to really have a breakout year in 2022, 2023 in Europe. And that's going to really set the stage for the hydrogen Mm -hmm. revolution to to come to be. So I think renewables are just really due for what could be a pretty strong um, next few years. And the inflection point is is today what's happening right now in, in Russia and Ukraine.
1: Awesome. Well, we're almost out of time, but we definitely have a few fan questions I want to get to. Um, you know, I think we've answered this que- this first question before, but for our new listeners, I uh, just want to kind of cover our bases. Haley Girl asks, "What is considered a growth stock?"
0: Great question. Really, really great question. Um, a growth stock is, by definition, a company that is growing revenues and earnings faster than the market. Um, so the market normally grows, the average company in the S&P 500 grows revenues at a six to seven, 8% clip per year, uh, add in some margin expansion, they're growing earnings at a 10, 11, 12% clip. So a growth stock, uh, is typically any company that is growing more quickly than that. And by our definition, substantially more quickly than that. So we're looking for companies that are growing revenues north of, 15% 15% a year, preferably north of 20% a year. And if there are earnings, you want to see those earnings growing north of 20% a year too. So that is what's considered a growth stock, a the stock of a company that is growing much more quickly than your average company, which grows at 6 to 7% revenues uh, per year. So we're looking at 15% plus, 20% plus revenue growth. That is a growth stock
1: awesome uh G J M G L L C uh first says excellent as usual always look forward to wednesdays now for a new podcast so that's awesome uh but he did have, also have a question or she uh if investing monthly over a long period of time and not just a one-time buy and hold uh it seems that they have a 10 stock portfolio should i stay with that or add some other tickers that they're interested in? Basically, I think that uh, what they're asking is, if I have a strong portfolio, do I keep investing in that, or do I explore other areas that they're interested in?
0: Um, If you're going to explore more areas you're interested in, now's now's the time to do it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, 10 stock portfolios, I mean, that's a pretty good start. If you love the stocks that you own, if they're good stocks, I I, I can't tell you. Um, I don't know what they are. But if you love them mm-hmm. and you like them and you think that they have good growth potential and you just keep cost averaging into them, mm-hmm. that's that's a fine investment strategy. That That is that is just fine. Um, maybe expand that to 15 to 20. That's that's probably a better number. Mm-hmm. Uh, get in the areas you like. But here's the thing, when, when you're talking about what you're investing in and you're asking the question of, do you wanna expand into other areas of interest? You should absolutely do that. Um, invest in what you know. Mm-hmm invest in what you love, mm-hmm. and invest in things you really believe in, invest in things that you really believe mm-hmm. can make a lot of money over the long run, companies that can make a lot of money. Um, and if you do that and you cost average to those investments, you're doing the best that you can do to position yourself for success in the stock market. And that, that's that's all you can ask of yourself. And so I think that it sounds like you have you have a good strategy and you're positioned for success, but... There's definitely more you could be doing, and if it is expanding into other areas of interest, I, I'm not going to be the person to to say no. I think that's that's a that's a good strategy.
1: Well, Luke, I continue to be amazed by how much you have to offer week to week. You know the sheer amount of insight our listeners are getting. You um, you any really last Aaron, words for
0: being nice to me? Do you really, Aaron, are you just being nice to me?
1: I learned it. I learned something new every week. I learned something new every week. And and I we go over so much, it's it's hard to retain it all. But you know, as we continue to have these discussions, the thematics and the things that I'm learning are they're starting to stick. Um, but any last words for our listeners before we wrap?
0: Um next week, Aaron. Next week. Yes. Next talked week. About solar. Talked about, we talked about solar this week. Next week, I want to talk yes. about generating
1: okay. solar power in all space right. okay space solar space
0: solar my alma mater is all right is huge into that they just got a huge grant okay. to research the generation of solar in space and i think it is one of the most interesting i already have a i already have a ton, ton of, opportunities. of questions
1: in my mind for you So I can't wait to have this discussion next week. Uh, I'm sure we'll touch a little bit more on what the Fed actually does release uh, tomorrow. But for everybody, thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments for Luke, please feel free to leave them in the comments section. We'd love to hear your feedback on what topics you'd like us to cover. And again, see if Luke can answer any of your burning questions. Until then, please don't forget to like and subscribe. And we will see you all next week. Bye, all.